ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is the latest, the greatest, probably the most helpful edition of Nick's Nonfiction Yet, here with your host, Nick Muniz. The super size me of breathing today, James Early Nestor's Breath. By reading this, I was able to go from a full-time mouth breather to a nose breather. This is a no-flex zone, I'm not making fun of anybody. But you breathe 17,000 times a day. You think you might get it right at some point. We're talking about sleep apnea, all that today. You think you get sleep in America? Most people's windpipe is slowly crushing them to death. It couldn't have been only my dad who would come home, sit on the couch within five seconds. An ear-shattering snore would echo throughout the house for hours. I'm telling you, people aren't getting sleep. Did you know? The average person breathes the equivalent of 13 pints of air every minute. Every breath you take, 16% oxygen, 4% carbon dioxide, 80% nitrogen. You know, I've been seeing this at Walgreens. This isn't a stat, but it's funny. They're selling canned air. <laughs> canned air. Hey, I need me some extra air. <laughs> so we'll talk about nocebo effects. It's like negging a chick. You go up to a girl at a bar. Hey, I think there might be like a poop stain on your jeans, but I think you're cute. And now she's super insecure. Holy shit, I gotta go to the bathroom, see if I have a poop stain. But now you're in. By selling us air at Walgreens. Just kidding. I'm gonna get honest today about some doctors that tried to sell me on, like, nose inhalants today. We got a really good show. Maybe this is why some people's breath smells like shit. Apparently your lungs exhale 70% of the body's waste through the mouth. Motherfuckers with their shit breath. <laughs> James says, I kept digging and slowly a story began to unfold. As I found out, I was not the only person who'd recently began asking these questions. While I was pacing through the text and interviewing freedivers, super breathers, scientists at Harvard, Stanford, and other renowned institutions, we were confirming some of the wildest stories I'd been hearing, but their work hadn't been happening in the pulmonology labs. I'm telling you, this is the super size me of breathing. He shoves tissues up his nose for three months at a time. This book rules. Why couldn't Henry VIII breathe? He had no air. <laughs> what did the elephant say to the naked man? How do you breathe through that thing? You ever fart so long you wonder if your ass is gonna stop and take a breath? The niggas will be right back. About the author, James Nestor. So instead of the usual background, this is why he wrote the book. For the past few months, I'd been going through a rough patch. My job was stressing me out. I had just recovered from pneumonia, pterodactyl, which I'd also had the year before and the year before that. He gets pneumonia every year. I was spending most of my time at home wheezing, working, and eating three meals a day out of the same bowl while hunched over a week-old newspaper. I was in a rut, physically, mentally, and otherwise. And after a few months of living this way, I took my doctor's advice and signed up for an introductory course in breathing to learn a technique called Surahara so I'm saying this is not some Eastern yoga bullshit today. Navy SEALs do this. I'm going to teach you how to curve a bullet. How to shoot the wings off of a fly. Badasses know this shit. But he signs up for a lab study. I'm telling you, three chapters, you're going to love it. A woman answers her phone and he has a deep voice, heavy breathing. Have you got a tight, bald cunt? The woman answers, hang on, I'll get him. He's sitting on the couch. 
BRB. James Nestor Breath Chapter 1, The Experiment. I call this a lost art because so many of these new discoveries aren't new at all. Most of the techniques I'll be exploring have been around for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. He references thousand-old-year texts later. They were created, documented, forgotten, and discovered in another culture at another time, then forgotten again. Many early pioneers in this discipline weren't scientists. They were tinkerers and a kind of rogue group I called pulmonauts, who stumbled on the powers of breathing because nothing else could help them. They were Civil War surgeons, French hairdressers, anarchist opera singers, Indian mystics, irritable swim coach, stern-faced Ukrainian cardiologists, Czechoslovakian Olympians, North Carolinian choir instructors. Everybody is into breath. Before Nestor gets lost in the history, you might be asking yourself, why do I need to learn how to breathe? I do it every second of every day. James says, we assume at our peril that breathing is a passive action, just something that we do. Breathe, live, stop, breathe, die. But breathing is not binary. Like most adults, I too have suffered from a host of respiratory problems in my life. That's what landed me at the breathing class years ago. And like most people, I found that no allergy drug inhaler, mix of supplements, or diet did much good. Whenever I see someone with an inhaler, I go over to them and I say, Hey, what are you smoking out of that thing? Is it good? It will take the average reader about 10,000 breaths to read from here to the end of the book. <gasps> Try me, James. I've done my job correctly starting now with the breath that you take. You'll have a deeper understanding of every breath. It's like a 200-page book. It's only three chapters. It goes study, the fallout, and bigger stuff about breath. To be honest up front, I was given an inhaler as a child for a year. So I was like 10 years old, I had this soccer coach that I hated, Julio. It's not that I didn't like running, like when he make us do laps, but I just didn't want to do it when he made me. So then he tells my parents that I need an inhaler. This kid's not running. So my parents, oh my God, he's sick. <laughs> so they gave me an inhaler. I took one hit of the thing and I'm like, this is the gayest thing ever. I'm not doing inhalers. So the next soccer coach, my grandma drove me there in her gold Ultima. And she watched me. I fucking ran around the track the entire time because I didn't even want to talk to Julio. It's not your breath, people. It's in your fucking head. You don't have asthma. <laughs> you need to learn how to breathe. So, yeah, that's me being honest. Inhalers, I think they're fake. The experiment. The patient arrived, pale and torpid, at 9.32 a.m. Male, middle-aged, 175 pounds. Talkative and friendly, but visibly anxious. Pain, none. Fatigue, a little. Level... Level of anxiety, moderate. Fears about progression and future symptoms, high. Patient reported that he was raised in a modern suburban environment, bottle-fed at six months and weaned and jarred off commercial foods. The lack of chewing associated with the soft diet stunted bone development in dental arches and sinus cavity, leading to chronic nasal congestion. Damn, that hits home. I was a formula baby. You could probably hear it in my voice. And there's like holistic truths about dentistry, about all the soft food we eat. It causes your teeth to grow crooked and they decay before the end of your life. Bro, all I do is watch v videos of gorillas on YouTube and they eat the hardest vegetables. It's so satisfying. <coughs> a gorilla bites into a pineapple. A pineapple. Those things have spikes on them. Yeah, so you know that feeling when you eat a raw bag of nuts or carrots and your teeth hurt? probably good for you. At 17, four impacted wisdom teeth were removed, which further decreased the size of his mouth while increasing his chances of developing the chronic nocturnal choking known as sleep apnea. 
This is really annoying. He's talking about himself. He's the kid that signed up for the study. So he's saying the wisdom teeth surgery also collapsed his mouth, less room for airflow, yada yada. This atrophied, undeveloped mouth, throat, and skull unfortunately belongs to me, James Nestor. For the past century, the prevailing belief in Western medicine was that the nose was more or less an ancillary organ. We should breathe out of it if we can, the thinking went, but not if the, there was a problem. That's what the mouth was for. Why the fuck else would you have a nose? <laughs> Isn't it there for a reason? I don't know, like, look at the human body as a car. If your exhaust is clogged, you're not going to ignore it and then dispel the waste through the cabin, your mouth. That's what your nose is there for. Your mouth literally becomes a poop factory. That's what he's saying, 70% of the waste comes through your mouth? It's all bullshit. Pretty crazy. How come Asians have the worst breath? Is that going to be the statement that gets me canceled? I think it's their heavy carb diet. Noodles and rice. The only protein they eat is fucking fish and pig guts. <laughs> they got that poo breath. And not to make it racist, but like hot girls sometimes have bad breath too because no one will tell them. And that's why you only do it doggy style. <laughs> 40% of today's population suffers from chronic nasal obstruction, and around half of us are habitual mouth breathers, with females and children suffering the most. The causes are many, dry airs, inflammation to allergies, pollution, pharmaceuticals. Okay, hold steady, Dr. Nyack says. He grabs a steel needle with a wire brush at the end, about the size of a mascara brush. I'm thinking, he's not going to put that thing up my nose. A few seconds later, he puts that thing up my nose. The things you would never thought you'd be doing with your life, Nyack laughs while putting the bleeding tip of the brush into the test tube. He'll compare the 200,000 cells from the sinuses with another sample 10 days from now to see how nasal obstruction affects bacterial growth. So we got patient number two coming up. He's leaning against a window, snapping photos with his phone. He's 49 years old, deeply tanned with white hair, smurf blue eyes, wearing spotless beige jeans, leather loafers. His name is Anders Olsen. He's flown 5,000 miles from Stockholm, Sweden, along with me. He's ponied up $5,000 to join the experiment. The experiment is set up in two phases. Phase one consists of plugging our noses and attempting to live our everyday lives. We'll eat, exercise, sleep as usual, only we'll do it breathing only through our mouths. In phase two, we'll eat, drink, exercise all the same, but they'll only breathe through their nose. I'd gotten a fair share of gas from friends when I told them about the experiment. Don't do it. A few yoga dev devotees warned, but most people just shrugged. I haven't breathed out of my nose in a decade, said a friend who'd suffered from allergies his entire life. Everyone else said the equivalent of what's the big deal? Breathing is breathing. The biggest skull collection on earth is the Morton collection. I think that's probably second to the Paris catacombs. Every one of these ancient skulls in the Morton collection was identical to the Parsi sample. They had all enormous forward-facing jaws, they had expansive sinus cavities and broad mouths, and bizarrely enough, even though none of the ancient people ever flossed or brushed or saw a dentist, they all had straight teeth. Their skulls were far too large, their airways too wide for anything to block them, they breathed easy. So Nestor goes on his side theory in chapter 1, he thinks the missing link 800,000 years ago Homo sapiens started grilling their meat, and so their face changed and all that. He goes back to the future, 
It's evening on the second day of the Stanford mouth-breathing experiment, and I'm in bed with silicone plugs jammed inside my nasal cavities, covered with tape. For the past few nights, I've been splayed out in a part of my house usually reserved for relatives and friends. I had a feeling that my mouth-breathing lifestyle might be a challenge for my wife. Last night, in my first run of self-inflicted nasal-obstructed sleeping, my snoring increased by 1,300%. 75 minutes of snoring through the night. (laughs) Olson's numbers were even worse. He went from zero to four hours and ten minutes. I'd also suffered a fourfold increase in sleep apnea events, all this in just 24 hours. That's kind of impressive. His snoring adds up to 75 minutes a night. I talk for an hour straight to do these shows. It's exhausting. Imagine doing that for 75 minutes. No wonder nobody feels rested. (laughs) If you snore, you need to fix it. What the fuck? That's a vocal exercise. 75 minutes of snoring. (laughs) I don't think an opera singer could do that. I'm saying, bro, 50% of Americans are two-thirds or are obese. They're not sleeping. Their body is collapsing under its own weight. (laughs) Halfway through the Olsen experiment... He's saying his uh, face is going pale and gaunt. My blood pressure had spiked from an average of 13 points, which uh, put me into stage one hypertension. So then your doctor puts you on a statin because it's the salt you're eating. You're running on four hours of sleep for a decade. It strains your heart. But the worst part about all this is how we feel awful every day. It just seems to be getting worse. Damn. Day 20, the participants have to do a bike ride in the lab. It's a study that's been done on mouth breathers, and they usually hit 45 breaths per minute, and nose breathers hit 15 breaths per minute. So you think, more breaths, more oxygen. You're going to have to wait. One of the Mexican participants said in gym class in Pueblo, Mexico, the teacher would smack you on the back of the head for mouth breathing. In Mexico, they told students, that's how you get sick. And meanwhile, what's the medical mythology in America? Your mom tells you that if you go outside with wet hair, you're going to get a flu. (laughs) Water-bound mammals, capybaras, always have the flu. Water plus hair plus cold equals bacteria. Mom science. After 30 minutes on the bike, Nestor reaches his anaerobic max. Sustained 145 beats per minute. Moving on, it's the last night of the nasal obstruction phase of the experiment, and I am again sitting up in bed, staring out the window. I can't sleep. My head's been propped up on pillows. I've been taking notes on this creepy tableau for 15, 20, 40 minutes. Tableau. I unconsciously try to sniff and clear my nose, but instead get a jolt of pain in my head. It's a sinus headache, and in my case, self-inflicted. Each night for the past week and a half, I felt as if I was getting softly choked to death in my sleep, and my throat was closing in on itself. That people are performing a jujitsu wind choke on themselves every single night. Nestor averaging 25 apnea attacks a night. <laughs> Whenever oxygen falls below 90%, the blood can't get enough to support the body tissue. If this goes on too long, it can lead to heart failure, depression, memory problems, early death. Mouth breathing causes the body to lose 40% more water. I felt this last night, every night, waking up constantly parched and dry. He says, so it doesn't matter mouth or nose. To the contrary to what most of us think, no amount of snoring is normal, and no amount of sleep apnea comes without risks of serious health effects. Got some more anecdotal bullshit. 
Mouth breathing was also making me dumber. A recent Japanese study showed that rats who had their nostrils obstructed were forced to breathe through their mouths, developed fewer brain cells, and took twice as long to make their way through a maze. You know, but mouse aren't, aren't humans. That's one of the things people say. Nasal breathing had no such effects. <laughs> you have less brain cells. You're like waterboarding yourself every night. The same thing happened with other patients, both adults and children, who'd regained the ability to breathe properly. Their slack-jawed, narrow faces morphed back into a more natural configuration. They saw their high blood pressure drop, depression abate, headaches disappear. Remember that kid who had a palate expander? Maybe he just needed to learn how to breathe. Chapter 2. Nobody knows. Knows, like the thing on your face. Another story. I got a rash one time in college. And this isn't your normal horror rash from sleeping around. My hips and my abdomen started to get red for like a week. I went to the doctor. Three of them. They all did nothing. The biggest scumbag of the three was this Asian guy with the poop breath. <laughs> the whole time he would hit my nose with this bottle. <laughs> sniff this, sniff this. I was like, bro, I'm here for a rash. What are you doing? And I left the office with a stuffy nose. Again, it could have just been his poop breath. But why did he give me coupons to go to Walgreens and buy nasal spray? <laughs> Half these people are just selling you shit. To clear you up, clog you up, clean you out. We could go hippy-dippy. The human body has a mechanism for all this shit. But we'll talk about the pranayama and some Navy SEAL breathing techs in a minute. You look like shit, says Dr. Nyack. It's early afternoon and I'm back at the Stanford Department of Orontology. I'm splayed out on the examination chair with Nyack suggestions and endoscope on my right nostril. Now your favorite part, says Nyack, chuckling. Before I sneeze, or I can consider running away, he grabs the wire brush and pushes it a few inches into my head. It's pretty soupy in there, he says, sounding somewhat pleased. This is the first day after 30 days of plugged nose. He repeats with the left nostril, places the gunk-covered RNA brushes into a test tube. My nose is such a mess that Nyack has to grab a pair of pliers and insert several inches of cotton swabs into each nostril to keep whatever is up there from spilling onto the floor. You booger talk. Nestor goes outside, and he says he's assaulted by his senses. First time with a nose in a month. Each of these scents, the material in the world, exploded in my head, in a technicolor burst. The scents are so sparkled and alarming that I can almost see them. A billion colored dots in a surat pattern. Smell is the life's oldest sense. St what? Standing here alone, nostrils flaring, it occurred to me that breathing is so much more than just getting air into our bodies. It's the most intimate connection to our surroundings. Or, you know, looking and touching shit. Smelling. It's kind of dope. 1300 years ago, an ancient text, the Shiva Swadora, described how one nostril will open to let breath in and others will softly close throughout the day. Some days the right nostril yawns awake to greet the sun. See how it's said all Eastern? But pay attention, bro. On certain days, different nostrils are open. It sounds batshit. It's the absolute truth. I'm usually on an, a left nostril day, but since I've been doing pranayama... The right side comes through. 
According to the text, these rhythms are the same throughout every month, and they're shared by all humanity. The phenomena called nasal cycles was first described to our patients. Whatever. I'm going to try to get off of work by saying I'm menstruating throughout my nose. Hey, it's my nasal cycle. I get a equality for women here. <laughs> Another bombshell fact. The interior of the nose is turned out blanketed with erectile tissue, the same flesh that covers the penis, clitoris, and nipples. Now you know why it feels so good to pick your nose. Yo, now imagine picking your nose and pulling out a mucousy booger at the same time as you come. <laughs> the nose is more intimately connected to the genitals than any other organ. When one gets aroused, the other responds. The mere thought of sex for some people causes such severe bouts of nasal erections that they'll have trouble breathing and will start to sneeze uncontrollably in an inconvenient condition called honeymoon rhinitis. Bro, <laughs> I've definitely had girls sneezing on dates. This is wild. So I bet you're listening now. If you breathe through your nose, your penis gets erect more often. So if you're having ED and chomping on blue chews, learn how to breathe. <laughs> how many times do I have to say it today? <laughs> this is a medical fact, too. I've tested this one, like righty and lefty. No matter how sick you are, an orgasm always clears up your nasal cavities. So you're going, oh, what I, I would give anything to just breathe normal again. <laughs> Slipping on your soup. Rub one out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me some of that earth air. Oh. In 2015, researchers at the University of California, San Diego, recorded the breathing patterns of schizophrenic women over the course of three consecutive years. They found that they had significantly greater left nostril dominance Oops, I should have not said that before. <laughs> the breathing habit they hypothesized was likely overstimulating the right side creative part of the brain. Whoa. Well, that's a theory and a half. Think about that shit. So pranayama is you close different sides of your nose at a time and try to filter it. So maybe you're feeding different parts of your brain. Wild! Here's a life hack. There are dozens of alternate nostril breathing techniques I've started with the most basic. Involves placing an index figure over the left nostril. This is what I just said. I'm supposed to do it a dozen times after each meal. Aids the body in digestion. And so I've made this easier. I've invented the Pranahoff method. It's a mix of the Indian Pranayama and the Wim Hof Swedish method. You do three rounds, 30 breaths, and in between you do a 90 second breath hold. I am telling you, your nasal passages will clear up. So if you're in public and you can't rub one out, <laughs> I do this on the hiking trail, bro. Pranayama, try it. These exercises felt great. Sitting here after a couple rounds, I sense an immediate and potent clarity and relaxation, even a floatiness. I'm telling you, you can get high off of your own breath. Olsen, the Swedish guy, he's saying he felt so keyed up with energy that he couldn't stay still. Keyed up. Hmm. I rarely find cocaine jokes funny. But occasionally, a one-liner makes me snort. <laughs> Keyed up. Oh, earth air. Let's go.
Around 1500 BC, the Ibris Papyrus, one of the oldest medical texts ever discovered, offered a descriptive way of how nostrils were supposed to feed air to the heart and lungs, not the mouth. A thousand years later, Genesis 2-7 described how the Lord God formed man on the dust of ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. A Chinese Taoist text from the 8th century AD noted that the nose was the heavenly door, and the breath must be taken in through the nose. Never do otherwise, the text warned, for breath would be danger of illness. And that's what the Mexican people say, bro. Don't sit there slack-jawed watching hypno-TV breathing through your mouth. Go outside. Sniff the fucking flowers. Nobody knows is the name of the chapter. Except everybody on Earth. Who isn't brainwashed by Rockefeller allopathic medicine. Anywho. This was a cool story. 1830s Dr. Catlin. He went up to Missouri to live with the Lakota. He met the Pawnee Omaha Cheyenne Blackfeet. Along the banks of the upper Missouri, he happened upon the civilization of the Mondan. The tribes varied region by region, with different customs, traditions, and diets. Some liked the Mondan only at buffalo flesh and maize, while others lived on venison and water. The tribes looked different, too, with varying hair colors, facial features, skin tones, and yet Catlin marveled at the fact that all 50 tribes seemed to share the same superhuman physical characteristics. Catlin wrote, At their full growth, there were few men less than six feet in stature, and very many of them six and a half and seven feet tall. Did you know the average height of a seminal was six six? Average. They all seemed to share a Herculean make of broad shoulders and barrel chests. The women were nearly as tall and just as striking. Having never seen a dentist or doctor, the tribal people had teeth that were perfectly straight, as regular as the key of a piano, Catlin noted. Nobody seemed to get sick, and deformities and other chronic health problems appeared rare or non-existent. The tribes attributed vigorous health to medicine. Catlin called the great secret of life, the secret, was breathing. In Catlin's old book, he suggested wrapping a bandage around your jaw while sleeping. James tried it. Night three, he woke up feeling more refreshed than he had felt in months. What's the guy? Andrew Huberman. He says you should put um, tape over your mouth when you sleep. <laughs> put like duct tape over your mouth like you're being kidnapped. Nasal breathing alone can boost nitric oxide sixfold, which is one of the reasons we can absorb about 18% more oxygen than just breathing through the mouth. That's like a 20% boost. If you were an athlete, you would take that all day. In the three nights since I started using tape, I went from snoring four hours to only ten minutes. I'd been warned by Berlin that sleep tape won't do anything to help treat apnea. My experience suggested otherwise. As my snoring disappeared, so did my apnea. So yeah, try that tape. Meanwhile, Olsen went from snoring half the night to snoring for a minute. His apnea dropped from 53 to zero. It's wild. All these fucking CPAP machine apnea companies. Or, or maybe the answer is right under your nose. Nestor's next hypothesis. He's asking whether lung capacity has anything to do with longevity. Short story, of course. If you don't exercise, you're screwed. Use it or lose it. Your lungs shrivel up and turn into raisins. This is when he talked to free divers. They were able to up their capacity from 7 liters to 14. Doubled their lung capacity. Regular cycling can increase lung capacity by 
1958, the Westminster Choir College in New Jersey measured lung capacity before and after seasons of training, which recorded increases in lung capacity. So you don't even have to climb a mountain into thin air. If you just sit down and strain your vocal cords, it could be an exercise. But you got to go for it. You know the black choir singer who's got... He's bald and there's beads of sweat coming down his neck. Oh, Lord, Emmanuel! That's a lung strainer. In the book of Dr. Breath, this guy Stowe is like the magic Dr. Breath. Stowe had an expected elite athlete to have exemplary breathing habits. Instead, he found that they suffered from the same respiratory weakness as everyone else. They got the same colds, flus, and lung infections. Most of them breathed way too often, high in their chests. Sprinters were the worst off. The short and violent breaths they took runs too much pressure on delicate tissue and bronchial tubes. As a result, they suffered from asthma and other respiratory ailments. At the finish line, they coughed and sometimes even vomited and collapsed, wheezing in pain. You're never going to be faster than a lion. Humans are persistence animals. But there was something bigger there, how singers have breathing coaches, and they teach you to use your diaphragm. When I did that military training, they're always telling you, project through your throat. <laughs> I could do that all day and never lose my voice. Motherfuckers losing their voice. <laughs> Could you hand me the oximeter, Olsen asked from across the dining room table. It's afternoon on the fifth day of the recovery phase, and for the past 30 minutes we've been testing our pH levels, blood gases, heart attacks, heart rates, vital signs. Turns into a whole to-do. Nestor goes back to Sweden with Olsen, and they do these carbon dioxide tests. So we're talking like altitude masks. I was going to end up exactly like my father, Olsen said. He told me his father had been chronically stressed, breathed too much, he'd gotten severe high blood pressure and lung disease and died at 68 with a breathing tube in his throat. I knew that so many people were going to die the same way. After the long days he spent running a software distribution company, he'd come home and read medical books. He talked to doctors, surgeons, instructors, research scientists, eventually sold his business, got rid of his nice car, big house. In short, Olson's father found what I had found but years earlier. There was a gap in our knowledge about the science of breathing. That kind of ran on, my bad. What many of these doctors found and what Olson discovered was the best way to prevent many chronic health problems, improve athletic performance, and extend longevity to focus on how we breathe. Everyone always talks about oxygen, Olson told me during our interview in Stockholm. Whether we breathe 30 times or 5 times a minute, a healthy body will always have enough oxygen. What our bodies really want, what they require to function properly, isn't our deepest breath. It's not more air. What we need is more carbon dioxide. Let's go. You think this book didn't have another leg? This guy is saying oxygen is just the filler, and what our body really needs is the carbon dioxide. What the fuck? I'm going to go burn down a forest. Give me more of that CO2, baby. <laughs> he said the theory is based on a study by Niels Bohr, your father of the atom. Certain muscles used during exercise received more oxygen than lesser used muscles. They were producing more carbon dioxide, which attracted more oxygen. It was supply on demand at a molecular level. Carbon dioxide had a profound dilating effect on blood vessels, opening these pathways so they could carry more oxygen. Breathing less allows animals to produce more energy more efficient. This guy like Nims Perja, he hit all of the highest peaks in the world. He's been living at 15,000 feet his whole life. 
there's something to oxygen deprivation here. He's going on to super healthy people have low resting heart rates. So seriously, it's not about hoarding cubic oxygen in your lungs. Lung capacity. It's about training your body to need as little oxygen as possible. There's people who go like weeks without drinking water. And you know the medical journals. 48 hours, you need water. I don't know, bro. We've jumped the shark at this point. Maybe stay hydrated is the new got milk of this era. I'm going to be honest with you. Nestor tries the CO2 method. On the second day of using the slower nasal breathing approach, I'd outdistance my mouth breathing record by 13 of a mile, 1 13th. Uh, so yeah, he's pedaling faster. A Ukrainian doctor confirmed all the suspicions that Boren Olsen had. By the end of his career and the end of his life, 2003, at the age of 80, Buteko would become a bit of a mystic. He barely slept and claimed that his techniques would not only heal illness, but promote intuition and other forms of extrasensory perception. He was convinced that heart disease, hemorrhoids, gout, cancer, and more than 100 other diseases were caused by carbon dioxide deficiency brought on by overbreathing. Hmm... Just throwing this one out there. Remember this year on 6-6 when the sky in New York turned red? <laughs> People did air tests and it was nitrous oxide, but that was a wildfire. I'm, I'm nuts. The last supper, a bowl of pasta, leftover spinach, a few soggy croutons. I take a seat at the kitchen table in front of me. He's about to begin phase two. A bunch of days with a clear nose. 95% of the modern processed diet was soft, even what was considered healthy food today. Smoothies, nuts, berries, oatmeal, avocado, bread, vegetables, soups, it's all soft. Our ancient ancestors chewed for hours a day, every day. And because they chewed so much, their mouths, teeth, throats, and faces grew to be wide, strong, and pronounced. This is why so many of the skulls I'd examined in the Paris ossuary had narrow faces and crooked teeth. It's one of the reasons so many of us snore today, why our noses are stuffed, our airways clogged. Why we need sprays, pills, surgical drilling, just to get a fresh breath of air. Chapter 3. Results. The morning after a celebratory last supper, Olsen and I hop back in my car and drive down to Stanford for our final inspection with Dr. Nyack. We are rescanned, reprodded, repoked, repeppered with questions. He does his classic aside. As unlikely as it sounds, the first breathing technique I'll explore emerged in Western World Civil War battlefields. It was 1862, and Jacob Mendez de Costa arrived at Turner's Lake Hospital in Philadelphia. Big old story, this kid never made it to battle because he had a panic attack. When he got to the hospital, de Costa wasn't the only one. He started the examinations by lifting the men's shirts and placing a stethoscope to their chest. The soldiers' heartbeats were manic, thumping 200 beats per minute, even though they were sitting still. Some breathe 30 or more times a minute, double the normal pace. The doctor sends the guy home. They keep tabs on him, and he keeps having these attacks. So they called it irritable heart syndrome at the time. For a while, it was called shell shock, called PTSD. But no, 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 now it's... Parasympathetic Nervous System Relaxation Restoration. <laughs> the parasympathetic system, the mellow buzz you get during a long massage of the sleepingness you feel. He's trying to say he could teach people to breathe through it. So rather than at VFWs, <laughs> they're putting 80-year-old veterans into immersion therapy, making them play Warzone for hours at a time. Maybe you could, like, breathe. 
Professional surfers, mixed martial artists, fighters, Navy SEALs use Tummo-style breathing to get into the zone before a competition or black ops mission. It's also specifically used for middle-aged people who suffer from lower-grade stress, aches and pains, and slow metabolisms. Tummo, you got to do like a sitting posture, shoulders back, expanded rib cage, and then you do extremely loud inhales. Some asshole's going to do it in the sauna while you're trying to relax. Tummo style, the Navy SEALs do it. I don't know, I've been thinking, if there's a nervous system, there's got to be a confident system. We'll go into this deeper, but it's literally curving the bullet. Like, when you have that rush of, what do they call it, adrenaline, if you breathe through it, you could climb the face of a mountain. Like, I've broken fear barriers at this point, bro. I don't know if it's all just PTSD shell shock, man. <laughs> These guys who are killers, they could probably be like super duper ubermensch. But they, they get panicky. In 2005, Hoff submerged himself into a bath filled with ice for an hour and 52 minutes. He suffered no hyperthermia or frostbite. Then he ran a full marathon in the Namib Desert, which reached 104 degrees without sipping a drop of water. What? A marathon in the desert without water? <laughs> it's biologically impossible. This Wim Hof guy, he's fucking insane. I'm saying try the method. Type into your computer Wim Hof beginner right now and you're going to feel so much better in 10 minutes. It forces the body into high stress one minute, a state of extreme relaxation the next. Carbon dioxide levels in the blood crash, then they build back up. Tissue becomes oxygen deficient and then flooded again. The body becomes more adaptable and flexible and learns the physiological responses can come under our control. That's why all these rich dudes do cold therapy. You can control all of it. Two months after the Stanford experiment ended, Dr. Jayakar Nayak's lab emailed me Ander Olson our results. 50 words. <laughs> we got our results. After just 240 hours of breathing, only through our mouths, ketoclomine and stress-related hormones spiked. So this is the first month they're stressed out, suggesting our bodies were under physical and mental duress. A diphtheroid bug also infested my nose. Whoa. If I'd only continued breathing through my mouth for a few more days, it might have developed into a full-fledged infection. All the while, my blood pressure was through the roof. Bro, they hid truth in Jimmy Neutron. What's the square root of a Flexnar? A cup full of boogers. <laughs> you gotta read the Flexnar report. I might get kicked off YouTube for saying that. By night, the constant flow of unpressured, unfiltered air flowing in and out of our gaping mouths collapsed the soft tissue in our throats to such an extent that we both began to experience persistent nocturnal suffocation. For the layman, snoring. The nagging fatigue, irritable testiness, and anxiety, the horrid breath and constant bathroom breaks, the spaciness, stares, and stomach aches. It was awful. One more personal note. Those first few nasal breaths after 30 days of obstruction were so shimmering and rousing that I got a little teary-eyed. I thought about my interviews with all the empty nose syndrome sufferers who had been told they were crazy, that they should just quit, complaining about breathing through their mouths. I thought about kids who'd been told that chronic allergies and congestion were part of a childhood, and that adults who'd convinced themselves that choking every night was a natural part of growing old. I had felt their pain, and I was lucky enough to breathe life on the other side. It's something I'll never forget, and I will never, ever repeat. There you have it. James Nestor's breath.
it's a helpful book right there. If you guys want some memes at the end of the night, check out Harry Schwann on Instagram. Next week on the show, mystery edition. Let's get a soundboard to end it. Dr. Sus. Try this nose spray, it'll help you. Nick Muniz, signing off. <laughs>